Welcome to Bible Center Church, and thank you so much for joining us on BC Podcast. Here's a message to encourage your heart this week. Well, good morning. It is great to be with you this morning, and I want to ask you to open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5. As John mentioned a few moments ago, we'll be in Galatians chapter 5, looking at verses 13 through 26. And uh, just, it's good to be back with you, and uh, you know, it's been uh, nearly 15 years since we moved to California, and it uh, doesn't seem that long, and yet it seems like a long time, but feel very comfortable being back with you and uh, being able to open God's Word with you this weekend. When we were um, in that decision process of whether God was calling us to Southern California or not, uh, we made a trip with our kids uh, back to California, and we got to the Atlanta airport, and uh, we decided we'd better tell the kids that this uh, trip was a little more serious than just a trip to Disneyland. And uh, so we tried to introduce to them, John was 14, Katie was 12, and Megan was about nine, and we decided to let them in on the fact that we might be moving to California. And they got kind of, you know, they didn't want to move, and they kind of pushing back, and our flight got delayed, so we had a little more time in Atlanta to talk to them. And, and uh, I didn't know what to do to, you know, kind of calm their nerves or whatever, so I promised them, if we go to California, we'll get another dog. We'll get a puppy. Uh, just, what do you do with your kids when they're upset? You give them something they want, I guess, is what I did in a knee-jerk reaction. And so we got a dog, and that dog's name was Lucy. Lucy is here on the left, and Lucy uh, will be 15 this year. Uh, she's lasted quite some time. Matter of fact, the kids are all out of the house, and she's still with us. And uh, then Mabel on the right came along into our house about eight years ago. And um, Lucy on the left has a lot of fears and trepidations in life. She's a very nervous dog. Uh, she's a cross between a Yorkshire Terrier and a Bichon Frise. She's a designer mutt, as they call it. She's a Yoshan. And um, she is nervous as all get out and develops fears very quickly. And one time, uh, maybe about four or five years ago, I was taking them out late at night, and uh, we were coming back in, and Lucy just ran from the grass back into the back door, and she didn't notice that the sliding screen door was closed, and she hit that thing like at full speed and just bounced off of it and rolled back. And uh, to this day, if I take them out late at night, even if the door is wide open, she will run to it, stop, and like push your head forward just a little bit, and sometimes take one step, or she just is afraid that she, she has not forgotten that limitation. As a matter of fact, sometimes she will just stop. I don't know why on certain occasions she just stops at the open door and stands there and will not move forward until I reassure her, till I walk through or Mabel runs through that the door is open. She's remembered that. She's just been locked in fear and she's just been confined and can't pass that barrier. You know, over 30 years of pastoring now in my life, I've watched a lot of Christians who are trapped. They're trapped in fear. They're trapped in what other people think. They're trapped in some of the, the expectations others have foisted upon them. They're trapped in trying to live by religious codes rather than allowing the Spirit of God to work in their hearts and in their lives. And today, as we talk about thriving and what it means to be a thriving church, I want to talk about how we are free to flourish we're free to flourish. A lot of us live our Christian lives a lot like Lucy when she approaches that door and she is confined. We, we find ourselves confined by our own limitations, our own expectations, our own fears. And so as we look at Galatians 5, 13 to 26 together, 
I want us to understand this. God's spirit frees us to become what God's law could never force us to be, like Jesus. In the Old Testament, we have the law given, hundreds of of ceremonial and civil and moral codes. The most famous of those are the Ten Commandments, but there were hundreds given to the nation of Israel. And the Old Testament law was to demonstrate to mankind that we cannot, by fulfilling all these different laws, live up to who God is in his holiness. We will fall short. The Old Testament law demonstrates a need for a redeemer, a savior, who would provide us his own righteousness. We've just come through the Easter season, celebrating the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus and and what he has provided us, that not only did did our sin go on him on the cross, but his righteousness is placed on us and we put our faith in Jesus. And yet there are a lot of Christians who, when they're liberated from their sin, and in this day when Paul was writing, there were a lot of Christians who had a Jewish influence in their background and there was a misunderstanding that Christians now needed to still live up to all the Old Testament codes and laws. And so there was this debate going on and one of the big themes of Galatians is you're free. We read in chapter five, verse one, Christ, was, Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. We are free in Christ from the expectations of that moral code of the Old Testament. Now, a lot of people say, well, that means then we can live however we want. Now, Paul's really clear. No, we are free from that, but now we have the Holy Spirit in us who is gonna mold us and shape us from the inside out to be like Christ in how we think and how we behave in our character, in our relationships. There's gonna be a molding, so we're gonna be more like Christ from the Spirit of God working within us than an expectation on the outside that we live up to in the Old Testament law. God's Spirit frees us to become what God's law could never force us to be, like Jesus. God has left us here as the followers of Christ so the world can see Jesus in us, so they can see the love of Christ, the life of Christ lived out in those who proclaim his name and profess to know him. In Galatians 5, 13 to 26, we're gonna see how this freedom in the spirit shapes and molds us, makes us fruitful and causes us to to thrive and to flourish in the Lord. Now we're gonna look first at verses 13 to 15 and see here that the spirit frees us to love like Jesus loved, to love like Jesus loved. Let's look at verses 13 through 15 of Galatians 5. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. Isn't that great? You're not in bondage to your sin, your past, your addictions, those sins that had you caught and and confined. You're not not confined by moral codes or religious thinking or mere religiosity. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. You can find that command in Leviticus 19 and the Old Testament law, and Jesus repeated it in his own life and ministry, that you can sum up all the moral code and it was how you love God with all you've got and then how you love your neighbor as yourself, that, that relationship with God and then the relationship with the people around you in everyday life. 
And he says here, the entire law can be summed up in loving your neighbor as yourself. When you have a right relationship with God, you have the spirit of God in you, then how you relate to other people, all of the laws and codes of the Old Testament, how you relate to others can be summed up. You love others, you love your neighbor as you love yourself. Verse 15, if you bite and devour each other, watch out for you will be destroyed by each other. So one of the dangers of getting caught up in ourselves and being trapped in old ways of thinking and old religiosity and old legalistic codes is that we then will be critical and we will be biting and we'll be fighting within ourselves. I want to make a couple observations here in how we love one another. If we're going to be free by the Spirit to love others like Jesus has loved us. What does that look like? Number one, humbly serving others is the antidote to self-indulgence. He says here, this is not, this freedom you have is not so you can do whatever you want to do. We're not freed so we can just live how we want to live. We are freed so we can live lives that thrive and flourish and please God and demonstrate Christ by the way in which we love others. Humbly serving others is the antidote to self-indulgence. Left to ourselves in our own flesh and our fallenness, we will just fulfill the desires and the cravings that John summarized as the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. They boil down to greed, power, pride, arrogance, and immorality, sexual immorality and lust. So greed and pride and lust will control us if we're not under the control of the Holy Spirit. And, and he points out that the antidote to self-indulgence, the lust, the greed, and the pride of our lives, those impulses, those predispositions we have as fallen beings, the antidote to that kind of self-indulgence is humbly serving others, finding a way to help, finding a way to, to minister to them, to come alongside them with words and actions that build them up. Secondly, constantly prioritizing others is the antidote to self-destruction. In verse 15, he says, you know, when you bite and devour one another, you destroy yourselves. I've watched as some of my pastor friends have gone through so much in ministry over the years and, and a lot of troubles in local churches and why local churches don't thrive and flourish is because there is an internal biting and fighting and criticism and judgmental spirit. We bring our expectations and we hoist them on other believers and they've got to live up to this standard or this code that we hold on to. And we restrict one, another's, one another rather than prioritizing others ahead of ourselves. Jesus demonstrated that so much the night before he's crucified. He's going to be crucified the next day. In the garden, he's going to sweat drops of blood because of the agony he knows he's going to face. And yet in the upper room, he stoops down and washes the disciples' feet. He humbly serves them. He prioritizes them. There's a great story from the American Revolutionary War where a high-ranking official rode up on a horse and there were a bunch of soldiers that were trying to rebuild a a defensive uh, structure, and they were trying to get a large beam up high, and there was another man who was on his horse, and he was, he was shouting commands, and these guys were struggling. If they just had two more hands, they might have been able to do it, but the guy in command just keeps telling them how to do it and screaming at them and talking down to them how they're not doing it right. And so the, the high-ranking official who rides up on his horse, he, he, he looks and, and, and says, sir, why don't you help them? And he said, I, sir, am a corporal. 
I have a position and status. I don't have to help them. So the high-ranking official gets down off his horse and he helps them finish the project, gets back up on his horse. And the corporal says, thank you, sir. And he says, the next time you need help, you just call in your commander-in-chief and I'll be here. That high-ranking official was George Washington. The general of the armies was willing to humbly serve and help others, to prioritize others over himself, where the corporal just sat in his position with his stature and wasn't willing to serve. We need to be willing to serve and prioritize other people, to love them as we would love ourselves. The Spirit frees us to love like Jesus loved. Max Lucado said, love like there's no tomorrow, and if tomorrow comes, love again. I like that. Did you wake up the morning, this morning saying, who can I serve? Who can I prioritize over me? Who can I love? When we are under the control of the Holy Spirit, we're allowing him to shape us and mold us. What will flow out of us is a love for others that is selfless and focused on their needs, not ours. Now, how does that, how does that take place in a church? If the opposite, what, what's the opposite of the fighting and the backbiting that destroys one another that's described in verse 15? or the self-indulgence described in verses 13 and 14. What's the opposite of that in a local church, like Bible Center Church? Well, there was a little reading I came across years ago, probably shared it with you years and years ago, so most of you will remember this if you were here. But it's titled simply, Once Upon a Time. It says, once upon a time, there were four people. Their names were everybody, somebody, nobody, and anybody. Whenever there was an important job to be done, everybody was sure that somebody would do it. Anybody could have done it, but nobody did. When nobody did it, everybody got angry because it was everybody's job. Everybody thought that somebody would do it. Nobody realized that nobody would do it. So consequently, everybody blamed somebody when nobody did what anybody could have done in the first place. You know, in the church, we need to be people who are anybody saying, I'm willing to serve. I'm willing to love and help people, even if they're different than I am, see things differently than I do. I need love. The Spirit frees us to love like Jesus loved. Secondly, the Spirit frees us to live like Jesus lived, to live like Jesus lived. We read in verses 16 to 26 about how we then can live out the reality of Christ when the Spirit of God is in control of our lives. Look at verse 16. So I say, walk by the Spirit. Now, let me mention, this is a command, walk by the Spirit. It's in the present tense, so it's a continuous command in the original. You continually walk, and there are two words for walk in the New Testament. One is the idea you walk from point A to point B. That is not this walk. This is the idea you walk around constantly as you're walking, wherever you go, even if it's not from point A to point B. It's not just a journey, but it's just your everyday travels of wherever you're going, you walk around. So I say continually walk around by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. When we're controlled by the Spirit, then the flesh, the old self, cannot control us. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. You're freed from the religious code on the outside that you try to live up to. Now, by the Spirit, you're being changed. As you walk in the Spirit, you give Him control of every aspect of your lives. You yield those things to Him daily. He controls you. Then we read in verse 19, this contrast. Verse 19, we have the acts of the flesh that are obvious. 
In verse 22, we have the fruit of the Spirit. Look at the contrast here. The acts of the flesh that come out of the old self are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, and drunkenness, orgies, and the like. Now, some of this list we're always against, right? Any of this sexual immorality and all that debauchery and drunkenness and Christians are against that. But notice it even includes equally to those, put equally to sexual immorality, are things like jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissension, factions, divisions in the church. Isn't that interesting? That in the list, we would list the, the great sins of the flesh would probably just be around things that were obvious sexual immorality, things that were obviously pride, things that were obviously greed. But here are things that sometimes we struggle with in our everyday lives, whether it's the lust of our hearts, whether it's anger that we can't control, fits of rage. And he says, I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. People read that and say, well, I thought it wasn't by works of righteousness, the bad or good we do, but by the grace of God that we're allowed into heaven. It's true. The point here isn't that we won't commit one of these sins, that a Christian won't ever commit one of these things. The point here is this is in the present tense, and the idea is we won't continue in these things without the conviction and work of the Holy Spirit inside of us. If someone can continually live in these things, they're not on their way to heaven, because if they can continually live in these things without the conviction of the Spirit of God, and the wrestling with that that's described here in verses 16 and 17, then that's an indication they don't really have salvation in Christ, because with salvation, we get the Holy Spirit, and then the Holy Spirit will constantly be telling us that these things don't fit into the life of one who has the Spirit of God in them, one who names the name of Jesus. Verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is, now the acts of the flesh is plural. So these are all the different acts of the flesh, but the fruit of the Spirit, fruit is a singular word. Now, I know that we could say in English, fruit and fruit, singular, plural, but in the original, fruit can be plural in how it would be stated in the Greek, and it is intentionally the singular. The fruit, the evidence that comes out of the life that is controlled by the Spirit, it's one fruit. I kind of picture the orange, you know, with all the different slices and you peel it back. You've got the different segments. This is one fruit with different segments, like an orange. What are those segments? Love, joy, and peace. These things have to do with kind of our inner self and the, the contentment we have in Christ. Forbearance, kindness, and goodness, or patience, kindness, and goodness, depending on your translation. This has to do with how we begin to relate with other people. And faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control talks about how we deal with other people even when they rub us the wrong way or life circumstances aren't going our way. We still have a faithfulness, a gentleness, and a self-control when life seems to be going in the opposite direction we desire. Now notice it says, against such things there is no law. You'll find no law in the world that says you can't be good. You'll find no law in the world that says you can't be peace. You can't have peace. Genuine laws that reflect the goodness of God. Only dictators and evil leaders have tried to outlaw these things. And in the Old Testament, there are no laws that outlaw these things. There are no true codes that say how you live up to 
the holiness of God that reflect these things. These are the things that flow from the Spirit of God in us. These are the things that are not natural in our fallen nature as sinful human beings. These are not our propensity. These are not the propensity or, or the outflow of the flesh, old sinful self. These are the outflow of the Spirit of God in us and are giving control to him. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such there is no law. Those who belong to Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, now he's assuming here that you have the Spirit, you can't have the Spirit unless you're a follower of Jesus. The moment you receive Jesus as your Savior, the Holy Spirit comes in you as the guarantee until you're in the presence of Jesus. He says, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Then he goes back to that idea that this is not about being self-centered, but about being others-oriented. When the Spirit of God is in control of us, life won't be about us. It'll be about God and other people, not about us. And so he says, let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. There's a huge emphasis here that in the local body of believers there at Galatia, he's saying, listen, you guys are free. You're trying to bring all this external legal code back on to people who have the Spirit of God. We don't need the legal code anymore because we have the Spirit of God in us to transform us and change us from the inside out. And when you bring all that back, all you do is create conceited divisions and strife among yourselves. But a church that thrives is a church that learns to love like Jesus loved as they yield to the Spirit, and they learn to live like Jesus lived as they are free and controlled by the Spirit. Now, there's a little statement here in verse 25, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. That's actually a, a military term. When Roman soldiers would march throughout the Roman Empire in this first century, they would march, as many armies do, in complete synchronization. So when the person in front of you was moving forward with their left foot, so were you, and then the right foot. A couple of months ago, I was in a class, horrible place to take a class in January. I was in Honolulu, and um, <clears throat> just suffering for Jesus. We were in the classroom from eight to five each day. Uh, but one afternoon, uh, the church there, New Hope Church, uh, Pastor Wayne Cadero founded that church, the largest church in, in Hawaii, and Wayne was our instructor. They took us out. They have a ministry where they do the outrigger canoeing. You know the outrigger canoes? You got the big thing on the side, the outrigger thing, and it balances the canoe, and you see them a lot with the islands. And, and um, they put our, our class into three or four boats, and then we were going to race there in the ocean back and forth and um, I know I look very adventurous. <laughs> I know I just scream adventure, bravery, boldness. That is not who I am. And so this was a little nerve-wracking for me, and I wasn't really sure what this is going to be all about. Now, it's a bunch of uh, large church pastors, and so we're all type A's trying to control where we're going to sit, how this is going to go, tell them what we're going to do. This, this outrigger, the width of it is, is about uh, 21, 22 inches wide in the middle of the boat. If you're in the back, it's even narrower. So I was quite wide for this boat and got in. But the key to the whole thing, they gave us about a 30-minute lesson on how you win an outrigger canoeing race. And they put someone experienced in the front, someone experienced in the back, and then three of us as pastors or pastor's wives in there. And um, 
I was kind of in the middle of the boat, but the key was you were to follow the person in front of you and the guy in the back would call the orders, the guy in the front would make his adjustments and if we didn't need to know anything else other than if the guy in front of me followed the guy in front of him who followed the guy in the front of the boat who knew what he was doing, then we would be very fast and we would, we would win. Now we came in second in the three heats. In my boat, we all were over 50. In the other boat, they were all under 40. And so I think they had a little advantage. Uh, but we came close a couple times because those young guys wanted to all do their own thing. And those of us who are a little older maybe have gotten over that and we were willing to follow the person in front. But the idea is you stay completely in sync with. And when we are in sync with the Holy Spirit, which begins with understanding who God is and what God's word says, and it's the spirit of God who shows us and illuminates what God's word is saying to us as we're in it daily, and we're seeking to live by God's word and what it says, the spirit of God then, having control of our lives, when we're in sync with him, then the fruit comes out of our lives. It's a great illustration in John 15 when Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. My father's the gardener speaks of our union in Christ, and the Holy Spirit is that connection in our union in Christ. We're united with Christ, and it is through Christ and our life in Christ and what the Spirit does that we draw our sustenance, we, we grow, we thrive, we get our nutrients, we get all that we need to thrive as individuals, but we're a part of the vine, and we're all different branches, but we're one in one vine, Jesus. And as we thrive together, we are then fruitful. And remember, Jesus in John 15 says, Apart from me, you can do nothing. Without him and his spirit working in us, we cannot see any of this fruit of the spirit come out in our lives, in our relationships, in our homes, in our marriages, in our church, in our community. So let's, let's talk a moment here about what we see in terms of living like Jesus from verses 16 to 26. Number one, the struggle between the flesh and the spirit is a good thing. In verses 16 through 18, he talks about this war between my old self and the spirit of God in me. And when people come up to me and say, Pastor, I'm so struggling with this, I'm struggling with that because I know what I wanna do, but I don't seem to be able to do it, which reflects what Paul said in Romans 7. I look at them and sometimes they'll, they'll speak for two or three minutes as I'm talking in the lobby and they'll tell me about how this is horrible, this war that's within them. They can't, it's overwhelming, they can't stand it. I'll say, I'm so glad you have that struggle. And they'll say, what? I hate this struggle. I said, that struggle is evidence that you're a follower of Jesus. The spirit of God is at war with the old sinful self. That's a good thing. You see, if you think you don't struggle, look out. Look out. Number one, you may not be a follower of Christ if you don't struggle. Even those who say to me, oh, lust and greed and pride, I have no issues with anything related to any of those things ever again. I've come to such a point. Paul told the Corinthian church, look out, take heed if you think that of yourself, lest you fall. If you're in the struggle, the struggle itself is a sign that you are a follower of Jesus Christ. That's a good thing. If there is no struggle, then there is evidence that your, your sinful self is not at war with the Spirit of God within you. Secondly, if you think you can't change, look up. I meet other people who they've given up. The struggle's so overwhelming, I could never beat that addiction. I can never deal with that sin. I can never deal with that, that habitual sin that seems to come back. I, I seem to get free from it for a few weeks, a few months, a year or two, and then all of a sudden it overwhelms me again. If you think you can't change, look up. The Holy Spirit that God has given you, 
God himself can bring about that change in your life. Don't throw in the towel. See, there are two extremes we take in the struggle. Either I have no struggle or I can never change. God says neither are true. If you know Jesus, you're going to struggle until you're in his presence. I wish it got better as you get older, but the older I get, the more I realize that old sinful self wants to keep coming back. If you have the struggle, that's a, that's a good thing. It's a good thing. Secondly, the change from the acts of the flesh to the fruit of the Spirit is a great thing. The transition from these old things, that list in, in verse 19 that is so horrific and, and describes such a terrible person, really, in so many ways, and that list that's given in verse 22 and 23, which is such a beautiful thing, that you even read the fruit of the Spirit to just anybody you work with, your neighbor, anyone, they say, those are good qualities. I'd love to see someone who had those qualities. Because the world even is hungry for the reality of what the fruit of the Spirit is like. They want to see it in, in real human flesh. The world got to see it when Jesus lived and loved like Jesus in this world, but now we have the opportunity to reflect those same characteristics and qualities of the fruit of the Spirit as we rely on the Spirit. The change from the acts of the flesh to the fruit of the Spirit is a great thing. When we rely on the external standards of religious codes, we fail to become like Jesus. If you think that, you know, the, the leadership here at Bible Center can give you a list of do's and don'ts and then you'll be a good Christian, that's not how it goes. A lot of people tried that. Some of us come out of backgrounds where that was the whole thing. Here's your list of do's and don'ts, now go be a good Christian. It's not how it works. That's all about self again. Just self in that I live up to the do's and don'ts. No, the Christian experience, we thrive and we flourish as individuals, then we thrive and flourish collectively as we yield to the Spirit of God, not to external codes. Timothy Keller said, legalism is looking to something besides Jesus Christ in order to be acceptable and clean before God. Let me just say it if you're here and you don't know Christ. There's nothing you can do to measure up to who God is. You're separated from God and can never have a relationship with him on your own. I mean, people say, well, you don't know my past. Or I, I was, especially in West Virginia, I met a lot of people who say, you know, I was raised in church and I, I know the good news of Jesus, but it's been so long since I even, even thought about those things. God could have no time for me now this late in life. No, God loves you right where you are and he wants a relationship with you. No matter what your sinful past is, maybe you feel like you've walked away from him for too many years God loves you as you are and wants a relationship with you right now. You say, well, I'm too old. I've, I've lived too much life. No, 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 no. God loves you and wants a relationship with you through his son, Jesus. Put your faith in Jesus today. Just admit, say, okay, it's been a long time, Lord, since I've talked to you. Maybe it goes back to my childhood, but I come to Christ and embrace him as my savior. God will forgive you and give you a relationship with him now and forever. It's not about external codes to make us right with God. It's not about external codes to make us live right for God. It's about a relationship with Jesus Christ and then his Holy Spirit in us who transforms and shapes us and makes us more like Jesus. Trust Christ today. The Holy Spirit will come in. God will begin to change you. Say, oh, I've only got 
this many years left, or I've got so much behind me that's so bad. No, no. It's about him and what he'll do in your life, not about you and what you can do for yourself. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus today. So what's the result of trying to live up to religious codes and we fail to become like Jesus because we're just trying to be some religious person that represents the do's and don'ts. The problem is, the result of that is the flesh wins. The flesh wins. The old sinful self, because we're even conceited in the good things we do, because we're trying to say, see, I've lived up to the do's and don'ts, rather than saying, look what the Spirit of God has done in me. Look what God is doing and changing me. When we rely on the external standards of religious codes, we fail to become like Jesus. The result, the flesh wins. But when we rely on the internal working of the Holy Spirit, we become like Jesus. We become like Jesus. Jeremiah 31, 33 said, something's gonna be different. There's a, there's a new era coming, a new covenant, not this Old Testament law that demonstrates we need a savior. There's a savior coming and everything's gonna be different. Jeremiah 31, 33 says, I will put my laws in their minds and write them in their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. It's not gonna be external codes. It's gonna be the internal working of God that is going to change us. 2 Corinthians 3.18 from the New Living Translation says it this way, and the Lord who is the Spirit makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. I don't change me to be like Jesus. The Spirit changes me. One of the things I ask myself every day as I open God's word and pray is I say, Lord, make me more like Jesus today than I was yesterday. Show me those areas. May your Spirit show me how I need to grow, how I need to change my attitude, my behaviors, my relationships, my words, my thoughts, what needs to change? It's the Spirit of God who changes us. The fruit of the Spirit then emerges as the natural outgrowth of God working in us. Author Wayne Jacobson says, the fruit of the Spirit is not what we can make ourselves do for a moment, but what God makes us to be for a lifetime. We don't just say, okay, today I'm going to live out the fruit of the Spirit. And then that'll be good for me today. No, it's saying I'm yielded to the Spirit of God's control. What is sin is sin. And when God's Spirit convicts me, I'm going to confess it. I'm going to walk in righteousness and walk away from that sin. I'm going to allow God to transform my mind and my heart and my attitude, and my demeanor. I'm going to allow him to change me. The, the Spirit of God changes us for a lifetime, and the fruit then begins to be seen in us. We rely on the internal working of the Holy Spirit. We become like Jesus. The result is the fruit shows. The fruit shows. And people begin to say, wait, there's something different about him. There's something different about her. And then when we collectively as a local church are thriving and flourishing and we're, we're loving like Jesus loved as the Spirit of God molds us and shapes us and we're living like Jesus lived as the Spirit of God molds us and shapes us, then people go, wait a minute, there's something about that church out there on the quarter. There's something different about those people who, who name the name of Jesus and, and say they're a part of Bible-centered church. There's something different that's seen and we thrive and we flourish because the fruit of the Spirit is seen in our individual lives, and then the fruit of the Spirit is seen in us collectively. You see, God's Spirit frees us to become what God's law could never force us to be. That's like Jesus. The Spirit frees us to live like Jesus, 
live. The Spirit frees us to love like Jesus loved. And I'm here to tell you, our divided, polarized, bitter world needs Christians who are not more democratic or more Republican, not more this or more that, needs the body of Christ to be the followers of Jesus first and foremost and the fruit of the Spirit seen in us as we flourish for Christ. What does it mean? It has to do with yielding. If you've got trouble with lustful thoughts or greedy thoughts or arrogance, keep yielding that to the Spirit of God. Say, here are those thoughts again. I, I yield them to you. If you have trouble with your mouth, yield your mouth to the Spirit of God. If you have difficulty with anger, yield your, your emotions, your, your feelings, your demeanor to the Spirit of God. Say, it's yours, it's yours. Just keep doing it over and over again, yielding it to Him and saying, use me, mold me, shape me, allow your fruit to be seen in me. Let me tell you, there is great joy that's found as we are changed by the Spirit of God from the inside out. It's a heavy burden when we're trying to live up to external codes. We flourish and we thrive when we understand our freedom. We're not restricted like my dog Lucy where these old ways of doing things or the old thoughts of what I think is right or wrong are the standard rather than the Spirit of God molding us and changing us from the inside. We're free. Are others seeing Christ in you by the way you love and the way you live? Are others seeing Christ in you by the way you love and by the way you live? First home Leslie and I ever owned was in uh, Limerick, Pennsylvania, really close to Valley Forge, just outside of Philadelphia. And we bought the home. The owners, Harry and Velma Wagner, had planted a bunch of rose bushes everywhere. There were hundreds of rose bushes on this property. They'd been retired for like 20 years and just kept planting things. They had all kinds of fruit trees everywhere. But it had been a while since they'd been able to prune these trees, so I decided I was gonna prune these trees, and some older men in the church told me, you gotta prune those, because you're gonna lose those trees, they're not gonna flourish, they're not gonna thrive, they're not gonna be fruitful. You need to prune those things. And they told me, here are the pruning shears you need to use. Well, I started thinking, these things are so big, you know what, instead of pruning shears, I'm gonna use a chainsaw. <laughs> My wife says that Thornton men believe anything good in moderation is better in excess. And so why pruning shears? Let's take a chainsaw to these trees. And boy, did I take a chainsaw to those trees. I mean, they were gnarly looking. I mean, they were just awful. You looked at our yard, there were, there were dozens and dozens of these different plum and pear and, and peach and apple trees. And I just destroyed these things. The older guys came along and said, oh, what have you done? I said, I pruned the trees, really pruned them back. And they said, well, which trees are pruned, plum and, you know, we don't even know anymore. And you couldn't tell. Some of the trees died because I didn't do it correctly. But eventually some of those trees began to grow again. And the only way I could tell whether it was an apple tree or whatever, what it was, was by the fruit that came from it. And a couple of them kind of flourished in a few years. You know, the world is looking for the reality of God somewhere. And we who are the followers of Jesus are to reflect the reality of our God to a world that is desperate to know him. And the only way that can happen is when we understand that we're free to flourish and thrive as individuals and as a congregation. To be changed by the Spirit of God so that we love like Jesus loved and to live like Jesus lived. Maybe you've been, you've been emphasizing some external standards versus the Holy Spirit's work in your life. The only way to flourish and thrive is for you to be yielded 
So the work of God, deepen your heart. Are you fruitful for Jesus? Are you thriving for him? The Spirit of God frees us to be what the law could never make us become. It's to be like Jesus. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the hope that's found in him. I pray that you'd be honored and glorified in our lives as we seek to rely on the Holy Spirit, not on Old Testament codes or religious do's and don'ts, but we allow your spirit to thrive in us and those things that are listed as the acts of the flesh will fade away and the fruit of the spirit will become more common in our lives, in our homes, in our church, and then in our community. May we thrive and flourish in the freedom we have in Jesus as the spirit of God molds us and shapes us, frees us to become like Jesus, not to be involved in self-indulgence, not to be about ourselves, but to be about others, their needs and who they are. Make us more like Jesus, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. For more information, visit us at BibleCenterChurch.com and give us a follow on all platforms at Bible Center.